wow, I don't know, which would I rather lose to? Who's going to kill me the quickest? Well, I'm like, okay, first of all, is there one I'm going to have a better chance of escaping from? I think I have a better chance of escaping from the gorilla, but I'm probably wrong on that. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Man, Cody, I'm excited for this one today because we're getting one of the OGs in the financial blogging space, Mr. J.D. Roth himself, who's been writing on the internet longer than you've actually been alive. (laughs) That is very true, Justin. So he is going to drop wealths, that is a plural, of knowledge on us today because like you said, I've been only alive for 22 years. He's been blogging for 25. Yeah, and the other thing, I have, I got a lot of respect out of him in this episode because he's going to get way behind the curtain. He's going to give you numbers that maybe a lot of people try to hide from their audience, and he's going to kind of show you things he would and wouldn't do, even if it would make him more money. So the man behind the curtains, the Wizard of Oz himself, Justin, let's stop talking about the guy and bring him into the show. Let's go. So I always say that I started my first blog back before blog was even a word. So I started my first website. It wasn't a blog uh, back in 93 or 94 because I was always a computer nerd. And after I graduated from college, I was like, oh, this looks fun. And then I started seeing these like they were called web journals back then. People were just basically keeping their diaries online. And I I saw those around 1997. And so I started one myself and uh, I've been doing it ever since. Wow. So something that we really want to focus on today is you have had a long blogging career and you've jumped from a few websites back and forth, building an audience, building an audience, building an audience. So I kind of want to just hop into that process. Like when you created your first blog and you started getting your first readers, what was your process in building that audience? Well, I didn't have any kind of like calculated process because for me, what I was doing, this was just an opportunity for me to basically have a public journal. I say that I was writing about Cats, computers, and comic books. Because those are the three things I was really interested in. And so the people who were reading what I was writing, these were friends and family. This was back in the day, and blogs weren't a thing. The web was like this new novelty. But because I was there at the start, that gradually evolved. And I started writing about things that mattered more. And one of those things was me trying to figure out how money worked. Because I sucked with money. I was so bad. I was deep in debt, deep in consumer debt. And it, it just turned out that for some reason, the way I wrote, people really related to it. They related to it then, they relate to it now. And I don't know what that is. More and more, I think it's because I like to tell stories and I don't hold anything back. I'm not anonymous in any way. I'm very, very public with my life. And I think it helps people relate. And so I think that might be why I was able to build an audience is because I was telling stories from my life. But then also, as my sites grew, I would start telling stories from other people's lives. They would see an opportunity to share. And it's been great to be able to share stories, not just my own, but other people's as well, including yours, Cody. You shared your story on my site. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I did. And I appreciate that. So, JD, you kind of talked about the transition from cats, comic books, and computers into money. But when was there like a concrete switch to get rich slowly, like your original blog baby? Um, Well, so I had my original site, which was called Folded Space. And that's pretty much defunct now. I almost never post at it. But I had that, and I was writing that almost every day, just random stuff. And this was back in the early 2000s. And in 2004, I started reading about personal finance. 
trying to figure out how to get out of debt and stuff. In May of 2005, I wrote an article for my personal site and I called that site, or I mean, I called that article, Get Rich Slowly. My theme of my article was, you know, I've been reading these books for the past year and I always thought I wanted to find quick ways to wealth. And I had learned that there was no reliable quick way to wealth, but there was a reliable way to get rich slowly. And so in April of 2006, April 15th, 2006, tax day, I started Get Rich Slowly, the blog. And even at the first, I didn't know that that was going to become like my main gig. It was only about a year in, I would say in 2007, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm now making as much from the website as I make it my day job. So why don't I just make this my day job instead? And uh, I started writing less at my original site and spending all of my attention on the personal finance. And so for those of you who don't know your background or what your day job was, I know you were kind of into tech stuff, but what were you doing back when Get Rich Slowly kind of was in its infancy? (laughs) So uh, I was probably the world's worst salesman. (laughs) My family owned uh, and still does a uh, small box manufacturing plant that we make corrugated packaging, shipping boxes and that kind of thing. And so uh, I was ostensibly the salesperson, but I hated it, hated it, hated it. So I did a lot of just sitting in the car waiting for time to pass because I didn't want to go make sales. I, I was just too self-conscious. I couldn't do it. I, I would be a better salesperson now, I think, than I was back then. <laughs> so you could say that you were pretty bored at your job? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I was, oh, yeah. So, J.D., you mentioned that you just walked away from your job to do this blog full time. And I think that's always one of my favorite questions is, you know, where people get the courage from, what made them feel comfortable. So like, do you remember what your actual financial situation was at the time you made that leap? Yeah, absolutely. I remember. Uh, At the time, I was making right around the median U.S. salary, uh, which I think at the time was in the upper 40s, right around $50,000 a year. So that's, you know, right around average. But I was living paycheck to paycheck. Literally, I, I would get the money and I would spend down, and I always knew exactly what my balance was in the checkbook because it was always under $100, and it was usually under $10. I, was, I counted the pennies, and I was getting overdraft statements. Even after I started Get Rich Slowly, I would get an overdraft statement now and then. And I posted them a couple times. I was like, look, here, I made a mistake. And at the time, I had over $35,000 in consumer debt. So I was carrying $35,000 in consumer debt, living paycheck to paycheck on an average salary. So a question I have is most of the common advice is the first step to getting a hold of your finances is tracking your spending. But it sounds like you were doing that and still not getting a hold of your finances. So just what was the thought process going through your head at that point? Those are like two separate questions. I'll tackle the, the spending tracking first. I wasn't actually tracking my spending. I mean, I was aware of it. I always knew exactly what checks I had out. Uh, I guess... I was aware of how much money I had or didn't have, as the case may be. It wasn't until I started Get Rich Slowly that I started tracking my spending religiously in Quicken. And I still use Quicken to this day. In fact, I use like Quicken 2007 or whatever it is. I just cling to this old program and I'm going to be really sad when it's sunsetted. I mean, it's been sunsetted long ago, but eventually it's not going to work on my Mac and I'm going to be cranky. (laughs) Um, And I forgot what the second question or second part of that was. Oh. Yeah, what was the thought process? So for me, I always had this mentality that I got from my father that a lot of times wealth was due to luck or finance. I don't want to say wealth. Financial success was due to luck. And so I was just waiting for some magic bullet to come along and save me. I wasn't taking any steps myself. I didn't understand at the time 
that in order to achieve financial success, whatever that is to you, you've got to take charge of your life, right? I mean, you've got to be in charge. It doesn't matter how crappy a hand you've been dealt, because some people are dealt really crappy hands. Don't get me wrong. You've got to be the one who says, it sucks that I've got this hand, but I'm going to try to make it better. You know, we like to use a little tagline about financial independence for all. And what you're saying there is exactly what we mean. I certainly wasn't given, you know, any any handouts or favors, but I know that I have to take control of my own situation. So, you know, what was the tipping point that made you take control of your situation? I think it's because I hit what was for me rock bottom. I was married at the time and my wife and I had just bought a new house. We moved from our first house and we bought a bigger house. And on paper, I, I could make it work. But when it came time to actually make the payments and do the remodeling and all this other stuff, I felt like I was drowning, man. There, there was no room left over for me in my budget. And so it was at this time that my friends recognized that I was at rock bottom. And two friends gave me books. One person gave me Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover, which has a lot of information in there about getting out of debt. And I was like, okay. So the second book that a friend gave me was Your Money or Your Life by Joe Dominguez and Vicki Robin, which I'm sure everybody's familiar with. And so I read those two books and then a whole bunch of other ones. And I said, you know what? My financial life sucks right now. I've got to do something. I started with Dave Ramsey. I said, I'm going to follow Dave Ramsey's debt snowball advice. I'm just going to do it. And so in October of 2004, I sat down and I drafted a plan. I still have the text document on my computer and I share it all the time at Get Rich Slowly. And I said, all right, I am going to follow this plan. And if I do it right, starting in October 2004, then by December 2007, I will be out of debt. And it seemed like a pipe dream at the time. I have to tell you, I thought uh, the plan works on paper, but will it really work? And it turns out, yes, I got out of debt. December 2007 on schedule. It wasn't a straight line. There were ups and downs along the way, but I did the debt snowball. And then I was able to start building what I call a wealth snowball, which is taking your debt snowball and just keeping it going to build savings and, and uh, wealth, I guess. All right, JD, you mentioned uh, one interesting detail that I'd like to dig into a little more. So you mentioned that your wife was actually doing fine while you were struggling. And I think a lot of listeners struggle with, you know, if if they should mix accounts or if they should keep them separate. So how did y'all actually make that decision? I think it's because we lived together for so long before we got married. We were living together for four years. And when we were living together, our, our finances were completely separate. So once we got married in 1993, it just seemed natural to keep. I mean, it's what we had always done. It worked. And plus, Chris had some very real concerns about my spending. She knew I had a spending problem. I knew I had a spending problem. And we almost did not buy our first house because she was worried about my credit card debt. Obviously, we did buy that first house, and it ended up being a smart decision. But as time went on, she got to see, oh, yeah, JD is struggling with debt, but it doesn't affect me. It's not hurting me. Because I made sure, even when I was in debt, I paid all my payments on time. I, I never was late on anything. And I made sure it never affected Chris in any way. So a question I have for actionable tips for the listeners because a lot of people do have debt and it's definitely a stress that's weighing on a ton of americans and some people in other countries back so what are some actionable tips that you can take to actually get out of this debt like i know 
It's stick to the plan, but from a psychological perspective, that's not always the easiest thing to do. There's always things that come up or life gets in the way. So I'd just love for you to talk about that a little bit. Sure. This is interesting because right now I'm working with uh, my best friend and his girlfriend because he struggled with this for a long time. He and I come from similar backgrounds where we were raised in poverty. I mean, it's American poverty. It's white privilege poverty, I guess, but it's still poverty, you know? It's actual poverty. I grew up in a trailer house and... uh, there were times where we didn't know where the next meal was going to come from. We got help from the church and so on. Uh, we were poor, and so was my friend, who's also named Cody, by the way. <laughs> so it, I, I've been working with Cody on this, and you're right, other Cody, because I see him uh, a couple times a week, and he tells me, you know, we're trying, we're trying, but the car just broke down, or this unexpected expense came up. And so he feels like he's always just being set back and set back. And I remember feeling like that at first, too. So I think sticking to the plan, you just gotta, you've got to trust in it, even when these bad things are going on, that you stick to it. I'm a big fan of Dave Ramsey's advice for people who are just getting their footing. I, I think his advice for people further down the line is not necessarily bad, but it's not as good as it could be. But for starting out, absolutely. So what he says is start out by saving a small emergency fund. So this is what I'm advising my friend Cody to do, and it's what I did myself. And by a small emergency fund, that means setting aside $500 or $1,000, you put it in the bank, and you don't touch it for anything besides crap that happens in your life. You don't make an excuse to touch it. And for me, the best way to do that is to open an account at a completely separate bank that's unrelated to any other bank that you have. Don't get an ATM card for it. Make it so you have to go physically into the bank and deposit the money and withdraw it. So you can access it. Absolutely. You can get it when you need it but you have to physically go do it. And so that's what I did when I was set up my emergency fund and it worked great. The second step of Dave Ramsey's plan is his version of the debt snowball. Now the debt snowball has been around a long time. Well, basically you, you order your debts from highest interest rate to lowest interest rate and you make minimum payments on all of them, except for your highest interest rate debt, you throw as much money at that as possible. And then once that's paid off, you keep throwing as much money as you were throwing at your debt before, but now you're attacking the second one. With Dave Ramsey, he says, it doesn't matter about the interest rate. Instead, look at the balances in order from lowest balance to highest balance. And to me, this was a light bulb moment because I had tried the interest rate method before because that's the way everyone says, this is how you should do it. It's the mathematically smart way to do it. It doesn't matter whether that's the mathematically best way. If it's For me, my biggest debt was my highest interest debt, and it was $20,000, and I was never going to get that paid off. And so once I shifted and started paying off the small debts first, it made a huge difference. I had a debt paid off in two months. I was like, holy cats, how did that happen? (laughs) And uh, so I'm a big fan of Dave Ramsey's version of doing that. And I I think if people can uh, plan like that, I mean, I really recommend Dave Ramsey's baby steps, but it doesn't matter what it is, just find a plan that's going to work and stick to it. Well, I know that Dave Ramsey's like super anti-credit card. So did you end up actually, you know, cutting up your credit cards or do you leave them open? For me, I had to cut them up because if I had them in my, I would find a way to use it. I didn't have the self-discipline. And I know this because I kept the numbers and I kept the information. And uh, this is back in the early days of Amazon. And I was like using them on Amazon because I kept the information. And eventually I had to just get rid of that, wipe it all out, throw it all away. And so I went without credit cards for many years. And it was only once my debt, I guess my debt wasn't even fully paid off yet. But it was once I knew that I could trust myself to not accumulate more debt 
that I allowed myself to uh, get the credit cards. And I, I actually was canceling the accounts as I got the debt paid off. And I regret that because it did hurt my credit score. And so let's fast forward a little bit to when Get Rich Slowly started replacing your day job income. And it just kept growing from there. I remember reading incredible stats about your readership and how fast it was growing. And I guess what were the next steps from there? Like, how did you take it to the next level? And how did you start turning a blog about cats, computers, and comic books into a six-figure business? Uh, The thing to realize is I'm not a calculated business guy. Despite the fact that I've been doing business stuff all my life and was in business clubs in high school and college, and I like business, I'm not like a driven entrepreneur, I guess. For me, I like to do what I like to do, which is write, and if there's a way to make money from it, then I do it. So I just want to preface all this by saying I wasn't calculated about how I was going about it. So for me, again, I was just sharing my story. And as I shifted from folded space to get rich slowly, it became my mission to like seek out the best information I could find from all sorts of places around the web or the newspapers or magazines, whatever it is, and share it with my readers. And so I was becoming like a clearinghouse for this information. Every Friday, I had a reader question where readers could send a question, and then we'd pose it for the – I'd give my answer, and then the other readers would give their answers. On Sundays, I had a reader's story every Sunday. Somebody would write in with their tale of financial success or financial failure, and I was really trying to foster the community. I was trying to like encourage everybody to comment and to share everything, and so it was like this big, warm, fuzzy environment, I guess, and I think that's what helped make it grow. Plus the fact that I wasn't trying to pretend to be an expert. I've never tried to say, oh, I know everything about money because I don't. I mean, at this stage, after having written about things for 12 years, I have some very strong opinions, but I have some huge blind spots. Like if you ask me about student loans, I don't know anything about student loans. So I guess the way I I was able to grow the site was by trying to provide, to filter the information, I guess, curate the information. And then as I did that, People were linking to me from all around the web. And when people link to you, your site will just naturally grow. And honestly, the linking is not nearly as prominent as it used to be. People are much more insular. They focus on their own material and they don't link out nearly as often. So at one point, JD, I've heard you talk about this on your blog, on other podcasts. You sold your baby. I know you can't disclose the exact amount, but you got quite a handsome sum of money for this blog that you've been building up for years and years. So What made you finally pull the trigger? And then what made you start your next online venture? That's a great question. So as I continued to ride it, get rich slowly, and the income increased, I started to feel a lot of pressure. I mean, some people would see it like, oh my gosh, it's a success. It's a game. It's fun. In fact, I have friends who were in the same situation and they were like, they didn't feel stressed. They felt excited. But for me, I was feeling... uh, kind of overwhelmed, I guess. There was a lot of pressure when all of a sudden I'm getting more than a million visitors a month and I'm making as much money in a month as I used to make during a year at my day job. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a lot of pressure. What do I do? And on top of that, there were other things going on. My best friend committed suicide. I was unhappy with my marriage. There were all these other things going on that were just making me think, as much as I love this, maybe I should get out of it. So I made a resolution. I had had people offering me money for the site or emailing me about it. And I had been, I was like, who would, why would anybody buy a blog? That doesn't make sense. And so I started building the conversations and uh, I realized very quickly, oh, they're very serious about this. And so uh, I sat down with my wife at the time and we 
we talked about it and we're like, all right, how much money would we need to pull the plug here? And then the first offer came back was much more than what we said it would be. And then the second offer came back and was even more than that. We're like, all right, we're going to do it. So what year was this? This was 2009. I owned the site for about three years and then I sold it, but I stuck around for another three years acting as the editor and primary writer. And I was doing most of that work for free because I just couldn't leave it. I, it's my baby. But the pressure, once I sold the site, a lot of the pressure went away because I didn't have to deal with the monetization or the marketing or anything like that. And then eventually in 2012, I decided, no, it's time to move on. And so after I moved on, I did a couple of things. First, I helped my friend Chris Gillibo was putting together an event in Portland called the World Domination Summit. So I was helping organize that. And then I worked with Chris to create the Get Rich Slowly course, which he marketed through his website. It was the Unconventional Guide to Money. And uh, that took a long time. And I was very proud of that. And then eventually, in 2015, I started another site about personal finance. I, I thought I was done writing about personal finance. Oh, and I was also doing a magazine column in those years uh, for Entrepreneur Magazine. I had a monthly column. And then in 2015, I was like, I realized that the whole concept of becoming, running your life like a business, being the chief financial officer of your own life, I realized this was an idea that was, when people were telling me that they can't save, they can't make their personal finances work, if I would reframe it in conversation so that I said, well, just imagine you're running a business. It made sense to them. And so uh, I started Money Boss in 2015, where the premise was manage your financial life as if you were managing a business. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that people like I work in the finance space and people who manage other people's finances and manage finances for businesses can't manage their own personal finances. Even though they're making $500,000 a year, they're living paycheck to paycheck as well. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I mean, it doesn't really matter how much money a person's making, right? Most people find a way to spend everything they bring in. And it's because they don't treat their personal finances as if they were a business. I mean, we all know that a business has to make a profit in order to succeed, right? And look at Apple. Why is Apple so successful? Because they're making a lot of profit. And the same principle applies to our personal lives. That that's what saving rate, I'm sure you guys talk about saving rate. That's what that is. That is profit, but applied to a personal level. So I want to jump back a little bit and get back into the head of 2015 JD because you originally stopped writing and stopped managing Get Rich Slowly because of the pressure. Yes. But building up a site from scratch is a hell of a lot of pressure and definitely harder than keeping a site that's already established running. So what was the motivation behind that? For me, it was actually more fun and there was less pressure. Uh, I went into it. I had a clear vision I had been kicking these ideas around in my head for several years at this point. And so I had a clear vision for where I wanted to go with the first six months of the site. And I was able to put that into practice. And plus, I made a vow. One of the reasons that Get Rich Slowly had always been so frustrating to me was that I used to want to publish two articles a day uh, and one on the weekend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> exactly. insane. <laughs> I was trying to do 10 to 12 articles a week. And that was a lot of pressure. And it was self-imposed. It wasn't my readers saying, put out that much material. It was what I thought I had to do. So when I started Money Boss, I told Kim, at this point I was now divorced and I had been dating Kim for a while. I told Kim, look, if I get into a situation where you see me feeling pressured to publish, 
call me out on it because my goal with Money Boss is not to let myself enter that headspace. And I, I think I was very successful at it. So there would be times when I went two or three weeks without publishing, and then I would publish three times in a week. It, it just depended on what. Now that I'm back at Get Rich Slowly, to jump forward a little bit, I repurchased Get Rich Slowly in uh, October of 2017. And I, I'm afraid that I still fall into that trap where I want to publish all the time. And it's tough for me to force myself to not publish. Uh, JD, I think you know your experience is so valuable here, but you know technology changes so fast. And so does things like SEO and all the tenets of blogging. Do you think people should feel pressure to write as much as you were? Or you know, does any of that still matter? I think it does bring more people to the site. but And especially if the site is new. Like if you're starting from scratch, the more material you can get out there, I think uh, is good. But at the same time, we've seen a shift where people want longer articles published less frequently. They would rather have something long and impactful like an essay that really hits home to them than to have a bunch of stuff published every day. So when I repurchased Get Rich Slowly, I actually thought it was going to be a curation site. My, I didn't want to be creating all this new material myself. I wanted to say, here are two or three or four articles a day, and all I'm doing is sharing it with you and providing a brief blurb and then going on my way. But the feedback I got from my readers was, no, no, we want more of your own voice. And so I had to shift direction. And so now I've returned to, it's, it's mainly about me and what I'm reading and what I'm doing and what I'm experiencing. So I kind of want to go back because I'm all about motivation and like what drives people to do stuff. So why did you repurchase Get Rich Slowly? And did you just completely halt the work you were doing on Money Boss? The Money Boss question is easy. Yes, I halted the work I was doing on Money. I did two or three articles and then I realized, no, it's silly to maintain both sides. So I've been gradually moving material over to get rich slowly from Money Boss. And I don't know what will ha- I think I'll probably eventually create a course called Money Boss and that will live there. The motivation for repurchasing the site. Number one, when I sold the site, I sold the rights to use that material online. So I basically spent three years owning the site and another three years producing material. Here's six years of material that I no longer had the rights to online. I could use it offline however I wanted, but I couldn't republish it on the web. And so I wanted that material back. That was my number one motivator. Number two is closely related is, you know, this was my site and uh, I was, it was my baby and I wanted it back. So it's purely emotional. There, there was no logic. And I had hopes that it would be a financially smart move. So far it hasn't been, but, uh, Based on the amount of traffic the site gets and uh, the topics that I'm covering, I'm confident that eventually I will recoup my investment and begin making money again. So when you say it's bleeding money right now, like what are your monthly expenses looking like? Are you just outsourcing a ton of the work on the site? or? It, well, yes. And so initially, I was doing it all myself. Then a few months into it, I started bringing on more and more people. So my fixed expenses, this is probably going to be tedious for some Listeners, but maybe not. Maybe it'll be interesting. My fixed expenses, when you count the reacquisition costs, I don't know, you're probably looking at about 5000 a month. And that includes hosting and all this other stuff. And that will go down with time. There's no question it will go down with time. And then when I started adding in people to help, I was spending another $5,000 a month. So you're all of a sudden looking at spending $10,000 a month and the site's only earning $1,500? Uh, that's not a smart move. So... <laughs> I, uh, I drastically cut back on the amount of help 
that I was paying for. It took a couple months to get there, but I cut back on that. And so now my goal is to increase the income. In a way, it's, it's very much like personal finance. Now I'm applying it to business. <laughs> I can't cut my costs any lower than they are right now because that's just that's the baseline cost for me. So I've got to find ways to increase the income. And that's what I'm focused on right now at Get Rich Solely is finding ways that I can make money from the site that don't compromise my personal values. Uh, so there's all sorts of different ways to make money online. And I don't begrudge anyone what they do. But what I'm willing to do is going to be very different than most people are willing to do. And so I just won't do certain things. Yeah, that's something I'm pretty passionate about, too, because I'm sure with your type of traffic, you could put a bunch of like buy this brand new car ads and then you get like a thousand dollars when someone does buy a car from it. But that's unethical and that's a terrible financial decision. So, yeah, yeah, there's so many ways to make money, but you got to you got to make money in a way that helps you sleep at night, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And, And like I say, it's different for each person. And I don't. If uh, another blogger wants to do something that I don't want to do, that is fine for that blogger, and I don't hold anything against them. But for me, I'm just not willing to do certain things like plaster ads everywhere or to advertise things that I don't believe in. Well, I hope our listeners can you know, gain the same amount of respect for you that, that I just did by hearing that because, I mean, holding on to your integrity when you know that there's money to be made can be so tempting. I mean, especially when you're, you know, your website is in the red. Um, but you're not doing it. And that just says a lot about, you know, the the philosophy behind the site and who you are. And that kind of shows, you know, what you're not willing to do. But as far as the future, you know, what are you planning to do? What does this site look like in 35 years and how do you make it profitable? Right now, Get Rich Slowly has a wealth of material in the archives. But a lot of it is outdated and needs to be brought up to date. And then there's a lot of like small articles. Maybe I have like, say, four or five articles on how to manage credit cards. They they need to be compressed or combined into one article that's more useful for people. So short term, say over the next year or two, I need to perform a very extensive content audit is what it's called. You basically go through your old material and Get Rich Slowly has 2,500 articles. Go through all of those. Weed out the ones that just are no good. Combine the ones that need to be combined. And as I'm doing that, figure out, okay, is there a way to make money from each individual article? So like if I'm writing about bank accounts, if I have articles about bank accounts, can I advertise bank accounts here so that my readers can get a good bank account and I can make maybe 10 or $20 on each bank account? And uh, so that's the like near future. And then as time goes on, my goal is to start doing more of this long form stuff that I mentioned earlier to do the longer essays. And honestly, that's how I've been uh, approaching things throughout the year. I've just been publishing them more frequently this past year than I ought to. I should publish a long article, an essay, and let it set for a week so that people can find it, share it around, and then I should promote it. But instead, I'm trying to publish like three of those a week. and <laughs> That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. All right, JD. Well, I think people are really going to love this episode, but unfortunately we had less than an hour with you and you're trying to cover over 20 years of blogging. So if people want to get more information about you or get in contact with you, what's the best way to do that? They can always visit the site at getrichslowly.org, not .com. Uh, or if they want to like ask me questions directly, feel free to email me at jdroth at getrichslowly.org. But JD, we're going to move on to the final question. And this is the wild card question. So I'm just going to come up with a random question, not finance related off the top of my head, and you're going to answer and see what happens. <laughs> All right. Would you rather fight a gorilla or a lion? <laughs> oh, 
That is a tough question, man. They're both going to kick my Wow. That's the thought process. I don't know. <laughs> Which would I rather lose to? Who's going to kill me the quickest? Well, I'm like, okay, first of all, is there one I'm going to have a better chance of escaping from? I think I have a better chance of escaping from the gorilla, but I'm probably wrong on that. I feel like the lion's going to kill me the quickest, man. I've seen some videos of, uh, I just saw a video on Reddit of this gal who got out of a car in a nature preserve. What were you thinking? <laughs> and a tiger caught her and dragged her away and she died. I'm like, yeah. and, and on top of that, just this past week here in Portland, Oregon, a gal was out hiking alone and she got mauled to death by a cougar. So... Oh, come on. That's a cop-out, J.D. Cody, there's no good answer to that question. <laughs> well, it's funny. You should have asked me about bears because I hate bears. So I, I would be like, no way I'm going to deal with the bear. I think I would rather fight a gorilla because even though I'm wrong, I know I'm wrong saying it, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think I've got a better chance about escaping from the gorilla. <laughs> oh, man. Well, J.D., it's been a blast with you on the show today. Thank you for coming on and just giving us your insights and having a little time for us today. Yeah, it's been fun for me, too. And I'm, I'm excited to see where this show goes for you guys and your, both of your sites. Man, J.D. Roth is the realest of reals. Like you said at the beginning, Justin, a true OG of the personal finance space. Yeah, I mean, he goes through how he started this website from nothing and then turns around and sells it and then realized he just couldn't take it and had to bring it back again. And I really liked how deep he got into just the behind the scenes of how running an online blog works. Because people will probably think, oh, you just type stuff into a computer and money prints out of it. No, not at all. JD's actually in the red right now trying to rebuild the business that he bought toward the end of 2017. Yeah, and the fact that he's willing to just come out and publicly admit, hey, I'm losing money on this. And this is someone who knows what he's talking about and he's still losing money on it. But he also gets into, you know what, I might be losing some money, but there's certain lines I'm not willing to cross. And, uh, you know, he's trying to keep his credibility intact, and I respect him for that. Uh-oh. What's that sound, Justin? I think it's a call to action. <laughs> All right, Cody. This week's call to action is pretty straightforward. It's when you start your next venture. It's when you start your entrepreneurship. It's going to take time, but if you just stick with it and be true to yourself and to your audience, you will get the growth you're looking for. Awesome advice, Justin. So go out and do it. All right, guys, so everything we talked about today can be found in the show notes at thefyshow.com slash JD Roth. And if you like this episode, please share it around with friends, family, whoever will listen. And if you don't want to miss the next awesome episode with a special guest who's never been featured on a podcast before, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And if you have a comment, question, concern, Justin and I would love to hear from you guys. So please hit us up in our Facebook community. You can get there by going to thefyshow.com slash community. Or hit us up via voicemail, thefyshow.com slash voicemail. So thanks again for listening. See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show. Fi Show.